0: Good morning, everybody. I was quiet. I think some of you were dancing like 10 minutes ago, so expect a better response next time. My name is Ginny. I'm the interim pastor, lead pastor here at Emmanuel. and it is really good to be with you this morning. We have a little bit of a tougher text to read together today, um, but I think there's a lot of really good stuff Here for us. So uh, let's jump into that text together. We're in Luke chapter 12. It'll be on the screen, or you can um, read your Bibles if you have them. These are the words of Jesus I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I think it's worth you know, saying up front that this can feel like a really troubling moment with Jesus. The content in and of itself is a little harder to understand. He says a lot of things that maybe sound contradictory to other things he says in the gospel and what, uh, what we think we know of Jesus. So we'll get to content, content in a second. Um, but I think the most interesting thing that's happening here for me and the thing that has been like the most present with me this week um, is this idea of Jesus having a very human experience, So he uses this word in the beginning, constraint. Um, He's feeling under constraint. And this word for us, I think like a modern day way of saying that is just pressure. You know, like when we feel a lot of pressure, that sort of like squeezing that can happen in certain situations or relationships, whatever. um, We can feel like squeezed, you know, under pressure. And Jesus is clearly here under a great deal of pressure. So much so that he says um, that he's like welcoming the completion of his mission through his impending death on the cross. Like that's the kind of pressure Jesus was under here. So when he says a lot of the words that he's about to, that he says in this text, um, that's kind of the human situation he's living within right here. I'm a firm believer that there's always really good news in the message of Jesus um, and one of the things that has been uh, really helpful for me this week as a person who experiences a lot of pressure, you know, um, is sitting with the person of Jesus experiencing this. Not just experiencing it, but like we actually get to hear the words that come out of his mouth when he is experiencing a great deal of constraint. Um, but, and it's, they're not like Zen words, you know. They're not like, this is really hard, but like, but just keep going. We're all going to be just fine you know like those are not the words that come out of his mouth they' are real words of truth and even frustration I think that we hear Jesus say in this moment. We get to see like the reality of what comes out of Jesus when he's squeezed and this for me is is a very validating moment in Scripture that it validates the human experience of it of like you're not a bad person if you get yourself into a pressurized situation. You know, if you get yourself into a place where you're like, man, I'd really like to get out of this in some way. You're not also not a bad person if you then, like, say something about it. If, like, you process out loud and these words come out of your mouth and they're not like, but everything will be fine. Like, you know, like nice optimistic words. That if you actually process and say the thing and let the thing that's inside of you come out, it does, it's not bad. it's not a bad thing. Jesus himself did it. And so this, for me, is a moment of like Jesus saying some things that kind of feel lofty or confusing or kind of like strange, but also like being very human at the same time. Coming to us like in his skin, in his very like social situation that he's in and responding to it, it's validating for us being humans and having human feelings, human emotions. And that's just a really beautiful thing, I think. Um, that Jesus could come to us today as the person who knows, like, the tell-offs. He knows the good end of the story. And he also comes to us as someone in the middle who wants to, like, not be in the middle anymore, who, like, wants to read the last page of the book, you know, or, like, fast-forward to the end of the movie. And I can feel like that all the time. Jesus, the Hebrews tells us, is our high priest, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. So Jesus in this moment as a human being experiencing pressure is a in a perfectly reasonable way um, that his expression is exactly what was meant to happen in this moment. And that can be true for you and me as well. So what is this sort of situational pressure that Jesus is feeling? I think that we can start to answer the questions that come after that of what what does this text mean? Why does Jesus say the things that he does? If we think about what kind of pressure he's under. So if you're familiar with the gospels, from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus experiences people pushing against him. it kind of comes to a head in this moment in Luke where all of this stuff starts pushing towards the cross and, um, and Jesus starts to really experience like really significant um, butting of heads with in particular religious leaders with him. But even from the beginning, we have people asking the question, you know, he, he gives some sort of wonderful sermon and people say, is he really the Messiah? Or then he gives some sort of like another wonderful, tells a wonderful story and people say like, but what does this mean? kind of questioning his motives as though he has something else he's really trying to get at. Um, Or the worst one, I think, you know, when Jesus is doing incredible things like casting demons out of people and people ask like, but is he doing it with the power of Satan or with the power of God? You know, like how hard to be doing these incredibly wonderful things in the world and people to be questioning your motives, not just like gently questioning them, um, but, but asking maybe if you, are, if you are Satan himself. Not a great place to be, right? A pressurized place, a place where you can be under significant pressure. My least favorite one, the most annoying one to me, is these people called the Sadducees. You guys remember them? They're like a, a Jewish sect. And the reason they are separated from, from the rest of the Jewish people is because they uh, do not believe in the resurrection. Does anyone remember what kind of question they asked Jesus? about the resurrection, they're just being annoying. They're like asking nuanced questions about something they distinctively do not believe in. And Jesus knows that. It's not like a secret that that's the true thing for them. And so Jesus is dealing with like the very annoying people that just kind of like buzz around us all the time. And he's dealing with real like evil people who are trying to bring him down, Well, ultimately like take him to the cross. Um, And this kind of pressure adds up. So what we're seeing in the person of Jesus this morning is this pressure mounting and what comes out of him. As we've been talking about for the last few weeks, this uh, moment in Luke, where we are, this section of text, is a a large portion of scripture uh, known as Jesus' journey to the cross. Where we read a few weeks ago that Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem Um, He has, like, set his face towards the cross. It's a portion of scripture where his stories become more stark and the difficulties of discipleship become more apparent. And Jesus is experiencing more and more conflict with religious leaders than he ever has. On the whole, I think this is a really human moment in Jesus' life. Like I said, even though the words can feel a little bit like strange or like removed for us, I think that what Jesus wants us to see is how very human he is in this moment. That he's under pressure and he responds to it. Um, He speaks to a very human situation of like being in conflict, particularly like familial conflict and division. Um, And then even this bit about knowing the times. It's like he's saying, here's a very spiritual thing that I think you as human beings can like access and be a part of and actually must if you're going to be a part of the journey that I'm on. So let's get into these two bits of the story about division and also um, about knowing the times. Because what I also find really fascinating and wonderful about the person of Jesus, and I want this to be true of myself, is that even in the midst of great pressure, he is able to look around him and say, what can we learn? What can I teach from this? And I think he has some important things to say. So this first part, what could Jesus possibly mean by I have not come to bring peace, but division? So I think we have two opportunities here as Christians, as people who study the text. On the one hand, we can decide, okay, what Jesus is saying here is overriding everything the prophets said about him in Scripture. It overrides every New Testament testimony about uh, who Jesus is and him as a peace bringer. Also, every word that Jesus said about bringing peace to the earth, this cancels them all out. That's one option. Or we can think maybe Jesus is saying something about his message that divides, about his message of peace. What we find in the ministry of Jesus, and I'm sure all of us can say this as well, is that people respond differently to the hope that he offers. You, have, you can be in a room with like one other person for about five minutes to know that they have a different experience of, of Jesus than you do gather a whole, like, host of people together, um, generations and people living on the earth together, and we experience him very differently. And this causes us to respond to him differently. For Jesus, I think in a lot of his ministry, the old saying applies to him here in this, this moment. He's talking about division. What comforts the afflicted often tends to afflict the comfortable. In particular... What we see in Jesus' culture is his message about the right-sizing of power and wealth and honor threatens the people with power and wealth and honor, creating division between him and those people, creating division between his disciples and those people. This kind of like larger view of responsiveness to the message of Jesus is one form of division that we see um, in him and in the text and in our world. But I think the truth is, and what maybe Jesus is getting at in particular in this moment, is that we face the division that comes from our individual responses to Jesus and the gospel all the time. In really large-scale ways, I think some of us are like, what is the Christianity of America right now? And like, am I, am I a Christian if that is also Christianity? You know, we're like reckoning with like what all of that means. But we even feel it on a very small scale in personal ways. I think Jesus here is naming something that can be really hard and really true about discipleship. And that is that reconciliation with God can often mean separation from people. That maybe following Jesus ends up sometimes, in some situations, putting distance between us and others. And can that be good. So I grew up in a... um, like, family system and environment that wasn't very emotionally healthy. And it was, like, my mid-20s where I realized, like, this all started coming to a head, and I was like, I am not flourishing. And I decided to, um, like, really dig into therapy. and went to ther- therapy for, like, over a year and really, really, really went for it. Um, also read some very helpful books. Um, in particular, this book, which I'm sure they have, like, a cool newer copy of it. But this is mine, from I don't know the 1700s, and um, it's called Boundaries, and it's by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. It's possible they have said weird things since they wrote this book, so I don't like this. Just this book is great. Um, I don't endorse their whole life, Um, but this book was incredibly life-changing for me, and the reason was is there's like this. Thing that we think about being a Christian—that means that we, um, our lives sort of have to like bleed into other people's all the time, and vice versa. That it's actually like really good to be codependent, um, to like have our lives intertwined with one another. And um, and if there's a problem, like just get closer, you know. Um, And that was kind of the situation I was in with my own family. Was like trying to help so much that I was ending up being intertwined in a way that was ultimately making me not only, like, not flourish, but, but, like, really was detrimental to my spiritual and emotional health. And through, like, therapy and reading this book, I learned about boundaries and, um, and how good it is to think of your own life as this really sacred thing that you were called to steward, where there are boundaries around, um, around yourself and your life, and that it is really good to have those things, and that you can put those up with people and still love them. that may actually be the most loving thing. Um, I'll read you a quote from the book. One of the things they say is, you need to get far enough away sometimes, you need to get far enough away from abusive people. To be able to fence your property, property against further invasion. And then you need, to tre- you need to own the treasures that you find in your own soul. And that's what I had to do, you know, for a while. I had to like, create the boundaries and the distance that was necessary in order to figure out who I was, and how I needed to move forward. And this is not like a one-moment thing in my life. This will happen in many different ways with new relationships over the course of my life and your life. The people that I know some of the people that I know that have had to walk away and create distance between them and people who were either abusive or causing them, their life to be um, less than flourishing, much less than flourishing. The people who've created distance between those people and themselves are some of, I think, the heroes of the faith. We often let ourselves linger too long in places that Jesus is actually calling us out of. Not out of judgment, but out of mercy for both parties. I will say, though, that it's really hard to hear Jesus, you know, come out of the mouth of Jesus, these, these separations of familial relationships. For some of us in here, when we hear, like, these parents against children things, and I don't know why it's only mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and not father-in-law against son-in-law, but I'll ask Jesus about that later. Um, when we hear those things, though, it, like, it, it pricks something in us. Some of us have that. Like, that feels very real to us. What Jesus is saying feels very real. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, that is, is descriptive, not prescriptive. Jesus did not come to the earth to tear families apart. That's not what he's saying here. Some of you need to hear that loud and clear. Jesus did not come to the earth to tear apart families what he did come to do is give a message and sometimes we respond differently to that message even within our own families. The amount of people I have talked with in like pastoral care situations or just as friends over the past six years in particular in the sort of political moment that we're in who have had in the past wonderful relationships with their family and now do not is like truly staggering. For a couple years there, it was like all that I was talking about with people was like I once saw eye to eye with my parents, felt known by them and loved by them, and now I do not. Or my kids were like I thought that they, I had raised them in a certain way, and now they have gone a different way that I don't understand at all. And what Jesus is saying to us through that, I think, is if we let our ideologies come between one another, we're not. That's not. That's not right. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do. This is sort of what happens with the natural separation that can occur over the course of, like, our relationships with people. But that Jesus calls us into something better. Um, The prescriptive thing for us is that he does call us back into relationship with one another. And we have to fight for those places, fight for those relationships. These kinds of things have been true in my own family, as I said. You know, for some of us, it's like, I, so I grew up um, really the only, like, practicing Christian in my family, which meant um, a lot of, like, dollar store Jesus figurines for my birthday and, um, like, ugly journals with scripture on them. And it was actually very sweet that they would be like, this is what she wants. Um, but, like, as a 12-year-old, what that ended up doing for me was um, there was sort of like an agree to disagree mentality in terms of, like, my faith. And that ended up creating this distinctiveness in me, a like separation even from very early on with my family. This is what she does, we do something else. And while that wasn't like, there was no like vitriol between us, there was like a very distinct separation. There was like a division between us because of that. And so you can have like no animosity and still feel that division in your relationships, in your family with, or with your friends or whoever. And so the good news for us, the hope that we get to hold on to, even in these words of Jesus that come out in this moment, um, is that Jesus is not only the healer of our wounds and the rewriter of our stories, but he is our brother. And he is the one who has created a world in which we can be adopted into his family. He is our brother and he shares all of his things. And there is no separation between us and him. There is nothing that can separate us from him, actually. So within family with him, there is no division. So while this may be true of you in your life, it may be true of your family, it may be true of your friends or whoever, and whatever, you know, whatever re- relational realms that you're in, for you and for Jesus, it is absolutely not true. You cannot be separated from him. So as we as Christians live in divided spaces, um, if relationally you're like, I'm actually doing pretty good, it's very clear that like, we are divided as a country in many ways. So as we live in like, places where all of these different spheres of division, we have to, our job as Christians is to understand where the hope lies. The hope that we are called to as Christians is to be ministers of reconciliation, as Paul calls it. So let's read from Paul. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made the one who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So at times, this reconciliation can look like relational reconciliation. I can't tell you the amount of people in my life that um, I thought I would never speak to again that now I'm in relationship with, even if it's like a long, long distance kind of thing, you know, Um, not up close and personal every day. But sometimes Jesus does call us back into these relational reconciliatory things. Um, But also sometimes that distance needs to be kept. There are some people in my life that I think maybe I will never speak to, but what is my job in my life is to be reconciled to them within my heart and reconciled to myself, healed from those things from within, so that if I do see that person on the street, I don't have to freak out. You know what I mean? You you all have those people? They're mostly from high school? Yeah. Um, Division may be the circumstance, but reconciliation is the hope, and we get to hold on to that as Christians. Um, so I got really good at boundaries, like really good, like sinfully good and, um, and created distance between myself and people that really didn't need to be there. I still struggle with that, um, and can be hard to know because of those things. And something else that, that the authors say that I remember the exact place where I read it years and years ago, um, it was like a moment speaking directly to me and this is the word for the Christian, I think. Eventually, those of us who create boundaries, you must rejoin the human race you have reacted to and establish connections as equals, loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the word of reconciliation. To say, as a healthy, boundaryed person, that doesn't mean I continue to move backward from others. Anytime something comes up that's hard, that I just like moonwalk backwards, but actually that I continue to move towards people, even if that's within reconciliation and healing in myself. So then Jesus talks about knowing the present time. In this region of the world where Jesus lived, the weather was somewhat easy to predict. I feel like that is not true here. <laughs> so those of us who are like, oh, easy weather, that's, like, I don't understand. that's not a thing that I get. Um, as soon as you know our our actual weather forecasts are wrong I feel like 90% of the time Um, so this may be unfamiliar to us but where Jesus lived it was very true Um, as soon as they had these sort of like dark clouds that were like coming in from the west brewing over the seas and heading eastward this was a definite sign of rain you could immediately prepare for what that meant for you whether that was good news or bad news And when the wind blew in from the south, uh, from where all the nearby deserts were located, it was a definite sign of hot weather coming and all the things that we need to do to prepare for that. So what Jesus wants from his disciples, what he's saying here is he wants um, us to have a present mind and spirit, present and awake enough to, as people as easily in his day could understand the weather, understand for us where Jesus is moving in our midst. What if you could like sense the spirit of Jesus, like you could watch clouds roll in. Don't all of us want that as Christians? To like be so in tune with the spirit of God that as like things shift in the world around us, we are non-reactive enough to actually see the moment for what it is and actually respond as Jesus would? I think part of this is like, not being blind to the reality of the circumstance, knowing ourselves is really helpful. Um, I am an overly pessimistic person. If you need like someone to interpret the bad news, I'm your girl, send me an email, it's on the website. Um, I am married to a person that is the exact opposite. Sometimes I'm like, do you live in the same reality as I do? Um, And this makes us very fun um, as a couple. But actually, it really does help sometimes because we can bring those perspectives and even it out. Um, But that, I think, is part of what Jesus is asking us to do, is to, like, know ourselves enough to know what our, our personal interpretation tends to be. So that if you are a typically pessimistic person and you see all the bad things rolling in, you can say, you know, self, we see the bad things rolling in. Um, maybe Jesus is up to something else. Maybe Jesus is saying or doing something else in this situation. Or the opposite, if you're someone who likes to tend to deny the bad things, say, self, I see all the sunshine in the world. What if maybe something else is happening here that Jesus is asking me to discern? And he gives us the power to do that. He wants to help us do that. He believes that we can. What I think is is equally important about knowing the time as like understanding where Jesus is moving in the present moment is also doing as Jesus would then do. Um, I am a pretty discerning person. That's a very nice way of putting it. Um, I can see a lot that's happening. I feel like I can read the clouds pretty easily. When it comes to like responding like Jesus would, I'm not the person that you want uh, responding typically. I can be very reactive or defensive. Those are kind of like my normal like confessing here like moves when something really is intimidating or scary or like pressurized situation and what Jesus was calling me to this week I feel like was that um, like take all the ways that you feel like you can sense what is going on in the world and instead of just responding to it as though it, it all that wisdom came from yourself ask how Jesus would then move in the world through that situation how Jesus would respond to that thing that's part of knowing the present time I think we all know people who have like discerned rightly in a situation, but have not actually moved then correctly, have not responded with grace and peace. Jesus wants to give you his perspective to see things rightly. He also wants to give you his heart to do things rightly. So to end, we can jump back to the very beginning Where Jesus says, I've come to cast fire upon the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. Which is an intense way to begin an already intense passage, you know. Um, Here's what I think. There's several interpretations to this moment. But here's what I um, I think is the most proven true in scripture. Is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about bringing fire to the earth. Is he's talking about bringing the Holy Spirit. In the beginning of this gospel, John tells us that uh, he will baptize the people with water, but Jesus will come and will baptize with, with fire and the Holy Spirit. And so, what I think Jesus is saying is when he says, I, I came here to bring fire, it's not that he wants to burn up the earth. But he wants to bring the Holy Spirit to actually blow through. And what the fire of the Holy Spirit does is it takes all of the stuff in us that's unworthy, that is like chaff, that's like not sustainable, that is um, like silly bad things and the darker things in us and and burns them all away so that what remains is actually very weighty and holy and good, um, the sort of weight of glory that Paul talks about. We know from the Gospel of John, Jesus says, strangely, it's good that I go away. You know, in his big, like, farewell speech to his disciples, it's good that I go away. Because then another advocate can come. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So his words to his disciples, it's good that I go. It's like, that's how good it is to have the Holy Spirit. And that is the world that you and I live in right now. We also know from the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit most certainly did come on Pentecost Sunday in a small room in the middle of the city. These disciples were waiting for something to happen after Jesus ascended, praying, and the Holy Spirit does come. Do you guys remember how the Holy Spirit comes? Tongues of fire, right? And what that means is that over all of these people were these different languages that they had never been able to speak before. All of a sudden they were speaking these languages and they were able to go out into the street and preach the gospel to people for whom they would not have been able to otherwise. The Spirit's work is the work of reconciliation. The fire of the Spirit is the thing that pushes us out into the world to reconcile people to Jesus himself. That's the Spirit on you. The work of the Spirit in you is to create in you something that is, like, untarnishable, something that is eternal and true. And then to, like, take you out into the world and to bring that ministry to other people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says, I came to bring fire to this earth and how I wish it were already kindled, what he means, I think, is I came to bring reconciliation in a world filled with division. In a world filled with, with people who cannot understand what I am attempting to do in the world, in a world where things are very murky and confusing, I came to bring a very clear message through the Holy Spirit and through people like you and me. Jesus wishes in this moment that the Spirit was already set ablaze so the work of reconciliation and revelation can already begin. And you and I live in this age. We are a part of this work. We are actively a part of what Jesus was wishing for in a moment of pressure in his life. You and I are living it out. What he wished was already done. We're here today living it out. I think Jesus wants us to wake up to this power of the spirit in us. To the ways in which he's asking us to move towards reconciliation and healing in ourselves. And then towards other people and out into his good world that he made. To be woken up by this fire that he wished was already kindled and thanks be to god it is so holy spirit come amen hello friends this is matthew the lead pastor at emmanuel anglican church in east atlanta thank you so much for listening to our podcast we are disciples of jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors and if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, emmanuelatl.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.